0: We're now working on making sure that we provide children the ability to avoid being shot in school. What does that say about our soul? What does that say about who we are? I really mean this. I'm so tired of people talking about your prayers. Damn it, we have to protect these kids. We have to do it now. Joe Biden recently
1: attended his first public rally in California. A few hundred people attended the Los Angeles event. The crowd was notably small, given his frontrunner status, and the enthusiasm was mixed. Here's what three voters who attended had to say.
2: When I see Vice President Biden talk about, oh, we can work on the Republicans, he must be living on different planet.
3: And I think Biden has a pretty good chance. I also like Bernie Sanders. But I think, to be honest about it, I think Biden and Sanders are 2-0. I want a younger candidate.
4: I think his experience, I think the rationality uh, with which he makes his decisions and that he, he approaches the American public and, you know, the dignity of the office is so important. Can i go by Zeke.
1: Velvet Victorian? That's me. Okay. And you, Sean Howard. And is Biden on your list of candidates? Who are you considering and where are you at right now? I'm almost certainly going to vote for Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this
2: is maybe... Not, not a super fair audience member, but I, I really can't see myself voting for Vice President Biden.
3: And I mean, I like Elizabeth Warren too. All of them are good. Mm -hmm. In one sense, I like Elizabeth Warren because he talked about her so bad, Trump. Mm -hmm. And I would love for him, her to go up against Trump just on the strength of the way he talked about her not being, having Indian descent and all
4: that. You know, there's no perfect candidate. And that's what people have to, you know, realize there's no perfect candidate. There never will be. But in today's day and age and and looking at somebody who can, number one, win, but as important who can, you know, um, as he said, unify the country, get us back to what we need to be.
1: Over four days, I traveled across Southern California to meet with voters, Democratic activists, and state party leaders. There were also several 2020 Democratic presidential candidates I caught up with. What you just heard was day one of my trip, attending the Joe Biden rally. On today's show, I take you inside what happened during the other three days. Biden's appearance in Los Angeles came as he faced criticism from party leaders and the lack of attention he's devoted to the Golden State. The former vice president, as well as Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, declined an invitation from the state Democratic Party to attend a party convention in Long Beach and participate in a forum on Latino issues hosted by Univision News. While it was Warren's first time missing a major California event, Biden has skipped three. He also declined to attend a party convention in San Francisco in June, and passed on the DNC summer meetings in San Francisco in August. Finally, you asked, and we answered. Listeners on Twitter told us they wanted to hear from former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro. You'll hear our interview with him later on with this episode. I also chatted with Rusty Hicks, leader of California's Democratic Party, and LA Mayor Eric Garcetti, whose endorsement candidates are coveting. So let's get right to it. I'm Brian Anderson. You're listening to California Nation. Five, four, three, two, one. We are not going to have a circus here.
5: But well, we just left pleasure paradise for paradise. Can you please hug me? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Do not worry. Dutch
2: is
1: not here today. We we've clearly learned our lesson.
3: These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election.
2: Uh, well, I want to thank you all for being here. My name is Rusty Hicks. I'm the chair of the California Democratic Party.
1: It was a Friday afternoon in Long Beach and check-in time for members of the media who wanted to get their credentials. Much of the focus of the convention would take place the following day, so the California Democratic Party chairman was fielding questions and briefing reporters on what to expect. One moment stood out. California has bumped its primary from June to March to have more influence in the process, yet Iowa and New Hampshire are dominating the attention from campaigns given that they're the first states in the country to vote. So should a more diverse state like California go first? Here's what Chairman Rusty Hicks had to say in response to that question.
2: Well, let's see. We started off in June. We've moved back to March. I think we're making progress in the right direction. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I agree with the premise that a more diverse state should be a part of selecting the nominee for this party.
1: So a few minutes later we shuffle into a quiet room and sit down with hicks to elaborate would it be possible to remove those two chairs behind him i just want to make sure you look as good as possible
2: (laughs) no it's 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 a rough job no
1: (laughs) we discuss his frustrations with warren and biden for not showing up to the convention and evaluate the current field of candidates here's that full conversation Sitting down with me now is the chairman of the Democratic Party. Mr. Rusty Hicks, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. It's glad to be here. Glad to be here. So I've got to ask presidential candidates are flooding into California, but we've seen some criticism lately with this suggestion. California is going to bump up its primary to March. Yet still, we see a lot of candidates flocking to Iowa, New Hampshire. What do you make of this? Do you think California is getting the attention it deserves at this stage?
2: Well, I would say that certainly there are other states that hold their primaries prior to California. But California brings nearly 500 delegates to the national convention. Uh, and so, you know, while candidates are making their uh, strategic choices about where they spend their time, plenty are coming here to California, and not just to Los Angeles and not just to the Bay Area to pick up money, they're actually traveling throughout the state. They'll show up in the Central Valley. They'll show up in the Inland Empire. They'll show up in San Diego and Orange County. And it's an opportunity for us to uh, engage uh, and uh, activate a whole new slice of Democrats to be engaged in the political process.
1: Some quick facts for you. We've tracked presidential candidate visits to California. And of the 27 Democrats who have decided to run for president, 25 have appeared in the state at least once they've collectively made a total of 345 appearances, including 252 events and 93 fundraisers across 144 trips. No candidate has come to the Inland Empire, and Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Julian Castro, and then candidate Beto O'Rourke are the only ones who have come to the Central Valley. The majority of trips are happening in the Bay Area and Los Angeles. Okay, back to Hicks. And I'd be remiss if I didn't address the, the two donkeys not in the room. Uh, we have Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. You were clearly frustrated with their decision not to come here. Can you just sort of express what went through your mind when you found out they were declining the invite?
2: Yeah, look, I, I, I certainly expressed my disappointment.
1: Twitter's a great platform for and that.
2: It is. Uh, it was an opportunity to give voice to what I think everyone else was thinking, uh, which is when you don't show up, obviously, we're disappointed that you didn't join us. But the most important thing is we're going to have the opportunity to hear from a great number of candidates and turn our attention to the work that's required to win in 2020. We're going to support whoever the nominee is because every Democratic candidate uh, and our nominee will have a vision for this country that is brighter and better than what we see in the White House today.
1: And unlike 2016, we still have super delegates in 2020. You're one of them. You won't get to vote on the first national ballot but you would on the second ballot if it comes to that. Are you considering endorsing anyone at this point?
2: Look, I've made it clear as the chair of the California Democratic Party that I would not engage publicly or privately with any presidential candidate. Uh, My work is about building the power that's necessary for us to win, not just in California, but in the rest of the country, because the rest of the country depends on California to show up in the general election. Tens of thousands of Democrats travel around the country year after year after year, knocking on doors and making phone calls and turning out the vote that's needed for us to be successful. That's what my focus is in preparing and planning to do just that.
1: What's the top issue you think California Democrats should factor in when deciding who to vote for for president? Obviously, we're seeing homelessness as a rising issue. We're seeing environment. What are sort of the top of mind issues that you think every candidate should answer for?
2: Well, I think you talked about a couple of them, but it's what are those issues and a vision on those issues that actually improve the lives of 40 million Californians, not just 9 million Democrats, not just those that uh, are registered to vote, but all Californians. And yes, it's issues of homelessness, uh, issues of housing affordability, it's the issues of wages, it's the issue of climate change, restorative justice. Uh, All of these issues are affecting working Californians that are doing their best. Uh, to try to put food on their, ta- on their family's table, um, see a doctor when they get sick, uh, and retire with some level of, of dignity. That's what I believe the candidates should be speaking to.
1: And you said at the news conference earlier today that California went from June to March. as a sign it's going in the right direction. Do you want California to be the first state in the nation? Because obviously it's more diverse than Iowa or New Hampshire. Would you like to see California get to a place where it's the first state to vote?
2: I mean, look, my, my focus is making sure we're successful in March of 2020 and preparing for November of 2020.
1: But you obviously plan for 2022, 2024.
2: Sure. We, we would love to be the uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, first one through the gate. Um, but I think the important thing is um, us being able to showcase the diversity of California. I think we get the opportunity to do that on, on Super Tuesday. And have a big impact on who the final nominee is
1: and by my count we've set a record of going five minutes without a reporter talking about donald trump so i'm going to have to talk about donald trump
2: maybe i (laughs) should have i'm disappointed myself.
1: (laughs) with senate bill 27 that's a bill targeting trump's tax returns it doesn't look like it's going to make its way through the supreme court based on the oral arguments we heard and there was a concern from republicans of a down ballot effect of if trump's not on the ballot then Republicans might not show up to vote for the primary. What impact do you think Donald Trump will have on the March 3rd ballots as votes are being cast?
2: Well, I would say that uh, you know Trump said uh, that he was gonna be the greatest jobs creator that God ever created. And I strongly disagree with him on that. Uh, but I do agree that he can be the greatest turnout machine that God ever created for Democratic voters. And having him on the ballot, people say, well, you wanted to try to get him off the ballot. No, I wanted to honor his word to the American people when he said that he would show us his tax returns, but I want him on the ballot because he's gonna drive so many Democrats to the ballot and I believe have a real impact in, in voter turnout. And so whatever the result of the court um, and the, lit- the litigation might, might be, uh, we're going to be prepared either either way.
1: Final two, California's different than the rest of the country. It's a much more progressive place. We saw at the last convention, the boo John Hickenlooper on stage, for example. What's your message to the progressive base here in California?
2: Well, my, my, my uh, message to them is keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you have the opportunity to really forecast the future, of this country. The future always comes to California first. The winds of change blow from the west to the east. And I think while some might get hung up around one particular moment when a candidate said something and people responded in the audience, I would argue that candidate probably said those things in order to get that response because they thought that it would help them in some other part of the country. Uh, But I believe the progressive voice in this party is an important Uh, An important voice not just for California but in many ways for the rest of the country.
1: Which side do you see winning out ultimately the moderate voice or the very progressive voice because those seem to be the two competing factions right now and California's to one side of that debate. I mean
2: look we're we're talking about a slight policy difference between one uh, you know moderate and progressive or a conservative Democrat or what the question is how do we improve the lives of regular people. What's our focus? The reality is, is that working folks who are sick don't really care if you're talking about one plan or the other. Their family is sick, they're sick, they wanna see a doctor. It's incumbent upon us to do what's required in order to get them to that place as quickly as possible.
1: Will the Chairman Rusty Hicks endorse anyone before March 3rd, 2020? Nope. All righty. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot man,
2: it's good to be with you.
1: Shortly after my conversation with Hicks, I dashed across the street to the Long Beach Convention Center, where I caught up with LA Mayor Eric Garcetti. And while he's adamant he won't run for president, he will still have a powerful role to play in 2020 as candidates fight for his endorsement. So what will it take for them to get it? And does Garcetti have any regrets about his decision not to jump in the race? We spoke with him in a desolate basement where lights flickered on and off and cleanup crews came in and out. Here's a portion of that discussion with Garcetti. Here in a basement somewhere in Long Beach (laughs) joining me is L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. Mayor Garcetti, thanks for coming on.
5: Great to be with you. This is like a convention room where you could have whatever convention you want today. The
1: problem with a podcast, they can't get the visual. They can't get the visual. So imagine
5: (laughs) a football field worth of open space right now. That's where we are. But on the other side of the wall are Democratic activists from every campaign and every group and every caucus in our party.
1: Well, every campaign but two. We don't have... Uh, Elizabeth Warren, we don't have Joe Biden, two frontrunners. What's your reaction to that?
5: I think, you know, California's up for grabs. I think California will be voting, you know, as soon as Iowa does. So the less time you spend here, the tougher it is uh, to win here. So I'm glad to see so many candidates here, and I hope that the others will at least have a strong presence in our state. It's been great to have visits from them, and it's been nice to have not just fundraisers but actual Events where we're talking to people, getting a feel for them and getting a sense of them as well.
1: So let's go to the 2020 race. Who are you endorsing? Tell me right now.
5: Um, So I've not endorsed anybody yet. I have dear and close friends. We have our own, of course, home state Senator Kamala Harris. I've known Cory Booker since I was 22 years old um, and he's been a dear friend. And Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg are both dear friends. I think we have an amazing field. Um, I've enjoyed meeting with everybody from uh, Bernie Sanders and talking about housing and homelessness and helping inspire uh, some of the work that he's doing there and the, um, the agenda that he's put forward. But I'm like most Californians right now. I'm shopping around and I got four issues. Tell me what you're gonna do on our homeless crisis. Tell, you what, tell me what you're gonna do to save our planet and the environment. Tell me how you're going to build infrastructure as a mayor that I care deeply about. And tell me what you can do on immigration. And you may win my vote and the vote of my constituents if you answer those well and show us a compelling pathway to being the president that can lead on all four.
1: So who is on your list? Because it seems everybody these days has a list.
5: Yeah, you know, I don't know that I exclude virtually anybody on the list right now. Uh, those four are the people that I've had the deepest relationship with Mike Bloomberg has done amazing work on the environment uh, Gun violence and helping cities. So he's also somebody who's been a great friend and mentor and supporter um, And you know Julian Castro is a Latino. He's somebody who worked very closely with his HUD, HUD secretary of another former mayor um, And I'm glad that he's in this race given what Latinos have been uh, caricatured as by this president so you know them and you know throw Elizabeth Warren on there too. Um, I think this, she's had amazing policy uh, um, proposals and kudos to, to Bernie for putting something forward on housing and homelessness that I think is the best out there so far.
1: Deval Patrick, Mike Bloomberg, Tom Sire, all have three things. all have yeah. one thing in common. They said they wouldn't run and then <laughs> they've gotten into the game. Yes. Will you be on that list?
5: Today I can make news for sure. I will not be on that list. I'm definitely not running. And it was absolutely the right decision to make. Not only because we have incredible talent, but you can't do both things. I, I realize that just take the fires, you know, a week and a half ago here in Los Angeles. If I was in Iowa, I would not be doing my duty and it would have eaten me alive, my conscience, not to be here. Vice versa, if I was here doing my job as I should be and I was missing the latest, you know, pork fry or something, I would have felt guilty about not giving it my all. You can't be a big city mayor and run for president at the same time. So. Bottom line, great decision. I will not be entering this race, but I can't wait to help elect a new president.
1: Can a California senator be doing two things at once? We saw as the wildfires were brewing in the state, she was dancing with a marching band. Sure.
5: There's no question that Kamala can do both. Uh, She was there for Santa Clarita yesterday when we had the shootings. You know, Senate doesn't have the sort of day-to-day duties and responsibilities that a chief executive does as mayor. So I think our senators absolutely can do that. It's tough to do as governor, but even as governor, those are bigger entities. Mayor's just different. You know, you got to be on the block. You got to see the potholes. You got to help deal with homelessness. You got to deal with the traffic. It's a different sort of job. So absolutely a senator can.
1: And I have to say for our listeners, they can't see the lights are coming off, which is actually making the shot look better. This is like a
5: really special thing for our viewers. We're going to try Fifteen different lighting styles in this. If you can hear the plastic bags, we're doing some cleanup in the area. This place is going to look great by the time you guys get here.
1: So, what, what do you think is the top issue? Don't give me three. Don't give me yeah. four. What's the top issue that Democrats must address when running?
5: For me, it's not an issue. We have to you're show we're name actually four or five? <laughs> one. If you're not listening to the American people and you're talking about yourself or President Trump, you're going to lose. Voters don't want to hear about you only. Or Trump they want to know you're talking about them and people always make the mistake of picking an issue rather than showing that you're somebody who knows how to listen and can actively repeat back to people that you understand what they're going through Americans in peak economic performance we're told right now are suffering they're insecure about the future they're worried about the planet they don't know if their kids will have a job and they worry about their own so I think If Democrats can't get back to being the party of the underdog, full stop, that should be the only thing that we are focused on. That party of the underdog, creating a a country where everybody belongs, has a sense of belonging, and shows that we're leaders that listen.
1: Some people say this is a false choice, but I'd like to try and get your thoughts on it. What's more important to you personally (laughs) as a now voter? Do you want someone whose views match yours, but maybe less electable, or do you go with someone who's maybe more electable, but whose views don't match yours?
5: You know, for president, it's very different than voting for your city council member or school board member or even a senator. I think absolutely we have to be very sober about making sure we win. Um, there's too much at stake. It's not just our values that are on the ballot. It's our very democracy, and we see that playing out right now in the impeachment hearings. We have leaders who literally are not only disobeying the laws, they're intimidating witnesses, they're lying. So what's more important to you,
1: issues or electability?
5: Get elected. Um, I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm going to support anybody, but... You, darn sure that I want somebody who has a great chance of getting elected. Now, that said, I think a lot of people think that means always moving to the center. There's no question Joe Biden still in most polls is the most electable. But you know who's second in most of those polls? It's Bernie Sanders. So I don't think it's a left, right, center thing. It's a feeling that people have. And we should be looking as a party very closely at that. And we should be respecting that because it shows also making sure that in what will ultimately be a close election, we don't get caught losing by just a couple votes.
3: Well,
1: Mayor Garcetti, definitely not a 2020 presidential candidate. Proud to announce
5: on this podcast, <laughs> making news that unless it gets to the fourth round in the convention and it's still deadlocked, I am not running.
1: Thank you so much for the time. It was great having a you. A pleasure. Great to be with you. We have Amy Klobuchar speaking at the Women's Caucus right now. Mayor Pete is here as well, along with Tom Sire. Very chaotic scene as Katie Hill just spoke here at the California Democratic Party Convention. Okay,
3: thank you so much, California. And
1: it is- Saturday was the biggest day of the California Democratic Party, with a dozen presidential candidates descending on Long Beach to make their case to voters. Let me set the scene. Former Congresswoman Katie Hill made a surprise visit to speak at a meeting for California women voters. She was followed by three 2020 Democrats, starting with Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar.
3: And you want to win this? to win Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. And I will build a blue wall around those states and I will make Donald Trump pay for it.
1: South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg spoke next.
3: And
2: I have committed to ensuring that the cabinet of the United States, when I am your president, will be at least 50% women because then it will make better decisions for the American people.
1: And here's Tom Steyer, the billionaire California activist who changed his mind about running for president.
4: Look, I'm running for president for a very, very simple reason, which is incorporating the thought democracy, and we have to take it back.
1: It's here when I follow Buttigieg off stage in an unsuccessful effort to ask him a question. I later stumble across spiritual leader Marianne Williamson, a previous guest of the show who is struggling in the polls, asked if she has any plans to drop out of the race and endorse someone she was very clear that she wouldn't endorse. And a few hours later, Williamson and three other low-tier candidates, John Delaney, Joe Sestic, and Deval Patrick, spoke on stage to the general session. The only real highlight, booze for Delaney. The former Maryland Congressman, many Californians see, as too moderate. Here's how he was welcomed on stage. And guests,
3: please welcome former U.S.
1: I asked him about it after he got off stage. What's your reaction to California Democrats booing you here at the event? They booed John Hickenlooper last time. Well, I don't think they booed me
6: today. I didn't notice that. They did. Well, I didn't notice it. This is the thing. You know, I went up there and I made my case for universal health care, right? My plan gives every American health care for free. There's only three candidates running for president who are actually calling for universal health care. I'm calling for it, Senator Sanders, and Senator Warren. All the other folks are calling for a public option which I pointed out actually doesn't really do anything. So I think it's a problem if people actually are booing one of three people who are actually calling for universal health care. That doesn't strike me as a really great way to beat Donald
1: Trump. The next few hours were chaotic. Eight other candidates were invited to participate in a forum on Latino issues hosted by Univision News. Now we're not allowed to be in the room where it happens and the press is sitting in an isolated basement a hundred yards away from the main hall. Univision later gave us permission to use their audio from the event, but the live stream isn't playing on the monitors in the press room as the event begins. So I scurry to open my laptop, get on YouTube and watch it from there. Let's now
0: welcome California Senator Kamala Harris. Can we have an honest conversation about Obama's legacy? Of course, he gave us Obamacare and DACA and the Paris Agreement. And of course the, the country was Um, going through a terrible economic situation. I agree with that. However, he deported more than 3 million people. Was that a mistake? Do you think President Obama made a mistake?
3: I think that President Obama did many great things and um, has been probably one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Um. You can compare that to Vermont Senator
1: Bernie Sanders, who received the warmest welcome on stage Most notable were his criticisms of Obama's handling of deportations and recent comments from the former president warning the party against moving too far to the left. Take a listen.
0: President Barack Obama just recently, he he gave an interview and he said the following, the average American doesn't think that we have to tear down the system and remake it. Is he right? (laughs) Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by tear down the system. The agenda that we have is an agenda supported by the vast majority of working people, vast majority of Americans, and certainly a vast majority of Democrats. When I talk about raising the minimum wage to a living wage, I'm not tearing down the system. We're fighting for justice. When I talk about health care being a human right and ending the embarrassment of America being the only major country on Earth that does not guarantee health care to every man, woman, and child, that's not tearing down the system. That is doing what we should have done 30 years ago through Medicare for All. So, let me ask you now about, uh, about immigration. You've been talking about immigration recently yes. a lot. Um, at the beginning of, the, of this program, I asked Senator Harris about the legacy of President Obama. Many people agree that he did great things for the country. Obamacare, DACA, the Paris Agreement, among many other things. Yes. But can you say, would you say that he made a mistake by deporting three million people? Yes.
1: (laughs) Entrepreneur Andrew Yang also made a splash that night focusing on issues with big tech companies.
2: Thank
0: you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Hello,
2: California!
0: Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently announced that his company will ban all paid political advertising. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, perhaps not surprisingly to some, said that his company will continue selling political ads even if there's the risk of spreading false information. So who is right according to Andrew Yang, Dorsey or Zuckerberg?
2: It's time for Facebook to grow up. (laughs) They talk about a world comp- being a world leader and a company that's actually trying to look out for the public interest, but they refuse to take responsibility for the truth of political advertisements on their platform. This is something that cable networks already have the ability to do, and Facebook should be held to the same standard. I'm, I think Twitter has it exactly right, and Facebook needs to mature if they're going to have a seat at the table.
1: In addition to Harris, Sanders, and Yang, five others spoke at the Univision Forum. Among them was Julian Castro, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under the Obama administration. Castro has called for making it a civil offense instead of a federal crime to unlawfully enter the United States. After President Donald Trump suggested it may be time to wage more on Mexican cartels, Castro was asked whether he'd be willing to send U.S. military forces into Mexico. He said he wouldn't, noting that Mexico is a, quote, sovereign nation.
4: I don't think the United States should send its military down to Mexico. Mexico is a sovereign nation. We need to be more respectful than to suggest that we're going to send our military there, but I would offer assistance. There are also things that we can do. A lot of the weapons that end up being used by the Mexican cartels come from the United States.
1: So... Shortly after his speech, I chatted with Castro for a few minutes about immigration, as well as the future of his own candidacy given he didn't qualify for the latest Democratic debate. Here's that full conversation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. We're here with Housing and Urban Development Secretary, former HUD Secretary, I should say, Julian Castro. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to be with you. So I've got to ask, right out of the gate, one of the more controversial ideas that you've introduced is related to illegal immigration and how to solve that and decriminalizing border crossings. Can you sort of defend the policy and how you think you'll win over Democrats on this idea?
4: Under my plan, it would still be against the law to cross the border without permission, but we would enforce it like we did for 60 or so years. We would do it as a civil offense, not a criminal offense. The reason for that is that um, Donald Trump has taken that misdemeanor crime under the law and he's weaponized it. He's used this little misdemeanor crime to separate migrant parents from their children and to inflict a lot of cruelty on those children and those parents. I believe that we can hold people accountable who cross the border without permission, uh, but treat them with common sense and with compassion instead of cruelty. And if we want to do that, then we need to get rid of that Section 1325 of the Immigration and Nationality Act.
1: Speaking with a lot of people here, they seem to appear disappointed if you were not Still in this, and they like your vote on immigration issues. How are you going to get back into this string of debates with the polling thresholds? Because electability is a big concern for people as well.
4: We're going to keep working hard. This campaign is speaking up for the most vulnerable people in our country. Uh, We're fighting for an America where everyone counts. I've put out a vision for our country to invest in education, invest in job opportunity, make sure that working families have what they need to prosper. Um, reform our criminal justice system, our immigration system, and have a tax code that rewards people who have to work for a living, and not only very wealthy corporations and people. So you know, the vision that I've articulated for our country is a popular one. I believe that it has a lot of support out there, and we're going to keep working hard to make sure people hear it.
1: Have there been any discussions with your staff or just in your head about dropping out?
4: Uh, well, you know, we announced several weeks ago that we were at a crossroads in the campaign where we needed to be able to raise the resources or it looked not viable to continue. So, of course, you know, we were we were thinking about the consequences of the resources that we had since that time. We've had an outpouring of support. Uh, people all over the country standing in their five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars. I'm very proud that even though I don't have the most resources in this campaign, I have either the first or second highest small dollar donation percentage a lot of people are powering this campaign from all over the country who want somebody that's speaking up for the most vulnerable in our community
1: looking forward to iowa you've criticized the state a lot california is a very important place do you think california should be the first state in the country to host a primary
4: well i I think that people from across the country should be part of a process to make that decision Uh, California has a lot to recommend it. It's a diverse state. Uh, Obviously, it's a Democratic state, has a lot of great Democrats here. There are also a lot of great other states. You know, it's not up to one person to to come up with the primary schedule. That needs to be something that people from different parts of the country come up with. I do believe that we need to make a change, though, because the way that we're doing it now simply doesn't reflect our country or our party. A lot has changed since 1972, and we need to change with it.
1: And A lot of people have asked for questions of candidates, what's one policy on the opposing side that you would work to reinforce as president? And I'm just curious, what policy you see that's maybe more conservative leaning that you would endorse and, and push? You know, there was, a, there was
4: a time traditionally, right, when Republicans believed, for instance, in investing in small business. I very when, when I was mayor, we focused a lot on investing in small business. I believe that we need to lift up small businesses instead of big businesses like Amazon or other giant corporations. And that used to be a bedrock of the Republican Party, and I wish it still were. Yeah, maybe it is for some people, but I'm perfectly willing to work with Republicans to make sure that hardworking small business owners that are providing opportunity for themselves, their family, other employees, that they can do great, you know, and we can work together on some of these things.
1: Do you believe you'll still be in the race by the California primary for people to vote? Because December 26th is the deadline for this state to get on the ballot. What are your thoughts? Uh,
4: I'm working to get on the ballot. Yeah, I'll be on the. We've, in fact, we've been doing all the ballot applications and getting on the ballot for these different states that have already had their deadline mm-hmm. and we're going to keep working to do that. And so, yes, uh, you know, right now we're working to get through Iowa and then, you know, hopefully pick up momentum because we beat
1: expectations. Got any personal ties to the state of California?
4: Uh, well, I came to Stanford for school and um, you and Cory Booker. Yeah. No, Cory was a little. He and was a brother. couple. You, of years. you weren't
1: a football player, though, no, I hear. No, no,
4: no. He was <laughs> he was a much bigger star on campus than I was. I wasn't doing anything. And your uh, brother also my brother, brother, Joaquin, and I. Yeah, we graduated in 96 from Stanford. And, you know, California is a wonderful place. I was here 25 years ago when uh, Prop 187 passed that was something that... Under Governor Pete Wilson. Under know. Pete Wilson, yeah. and um, But really, you know, that kind of, of attitude took hold in California back then, unfortunately. It's the same kind of attitude that Donald Trump has tried to profit off of and foster in the United States. I'm glad that it was rejected, ultimately, in California. I hope that our country rejects it as well.
1: What's the biggest thing, lastly, that you want Californians to know about you? I'm going to fight hard for every single person in this country,
4: because I understand growing up what it's like to struggle. And I want to make sure that every single person can have the same kind of opportunity in life that I've had to achieve their dreams.
1: Secretary Castro, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Now, live from Cal State, Los Angeles, Introducing Democratic presidential candidates Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Tom Steyer, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris. ABC7 presents the 2019 Democratic Presidential Forum on Latino Issues with Eyewitness News anchor Mark Brown. Sunday has
1: arrived and the convention is wrapping up. While many candidates have moved on to other states, others are sticking around for an additional conversation about Latino issues hosted by ABC 7 News. First up, Pete Buttigieg, who raised eyebrows when saying he would be open to sending US troops into Mexico. Specifically, Mm -hmm. do you see a time when troops could go into Mexico if Mexico welcomed it, for instance? There
2: is a scenario where we could have security cooperation as we do with countries around the world. Now, uh, I would only order American troops into conflict if there were no other choice, if American lives were on the line. Uh, and if this were necessary in order for us to uphold our treaty obligations.
1: Bernie Sanders focused on expanding access to health care to undocumented immigrants. Julian Castro later vowed to find a way through executive action to protect the so-called dreamers and their parents, even if the U.S. Supreme Court strikes down the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals policy, also known as DACA. Next up was Tom Steyer, who distanced himself from most of the left-leaning candidates on the issue of health care, saying he instead prefers a public option that all people can choose to buy into. This is rather than a Medicare for All-like system. One brief moment of hilarity ensued as Kamala Harris, who's scheduled next, found herself stuck in traffic. Uh, Real
4: quickly, we need to make note of something. Kamala Harris is stuck in traffic at this point. She is a little (laughs) bit late getting here. So you, Mr. Steyer, at this point are the beneficiary of that because we have no place else to go at this point but to continue to ask you some more questions. Well, I'll say two things. Congratulations!
1: (laughs) Finally, Kamala Harris said that unlike Warren and Sanders, she wouldn't offer free tuition for all Americans.
3: Again, a point of distinction between me and some of the other people on the debate stage, I'm not going to forgive Donald Trump's kids loans. You really don't think that Donald Trump's kids have any student loans, do you? Um, you know, who knows? Who knows? I just don't know how that family works. All right. Let's go back to the, (laughs) just had to ask.
1: And with that, the trip to Southern California drew to a close. ABC 7 would
4: like to thank our program partners, the California Latino Legislative Caucus, the Cheerla Action Fund, and the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day.
1: As is tradition, we end today's show with Buzz of the Week, our favorite segment where I give you something I can't get off my mind. And what I can't stop thinking about, it's Kamala Harris. Harris has recently said she's moving to Iowa and has since decided to pull some of her paid California staff out of her home state in an effort to build a following in Iowa. So far, she's dropped substantially. We've tried to get Harris on the show for months to make her case to voters and discuss her candidacy as part of our ongoing series of candidate conversations. But during the trip to Long Beach, I got to ask one question about her approach to the state, and I wanted to share the response with you here in its entirety. Okay. Senator? Senator. Uh, Brian Anderson, Sacramento Bee. Hi. Thanks for taking the time. Of course. Uh, Californians are, are just like lots of voters. They want to see people visit the state. You said you're bleeping moving to Iowa. Are, should voters be concerned that you're abandoning the state and that you're not no, visiting here not. as much? Of What's your strategy to win in California of now? Of
3: course not. I live in California. I am a daughter of California. A very proud daughter of California. My entire career has been based on serving the people of California and that is always going to be my primary focus Um, and I will never be able to get away from that because it's in my heart, it's in my soul, it's in my blood. Um, And in terms of the work that we're going to do in California, it's going to be such as today, being here with the fellow Democrats yesterday doing the same thing and always um, the work that I've done with the farm workers, the work I do with um, organized labor, the work that I do with our teachers, the work that I do with our small businesses. This is ongoing. The work I've been doing with our firefighters and our first responders around the wildfires. That work continues. It will always continue. I know how to multitask. Senator Harris. Harris is reflective of a
1: larger trend. She is one of several candidates in the 2020 field to devote less attention to the Golden State. Elizabeth Warren has made just 10 appearances in the state, the fewest of any candidate who qualified for the last debate. At the top of the show, we highlighted Joe Biden's trip to California. Several months into his campaign, his appearance in LA marked his first truly public event in the state. The campaign had dubbed it as an opportunity to interact with voters and hear their concerns, but following a 30-minute speech, Biden didn't take a single question from the audience. He instead made his way to a pair of private fundraisers in the area shortly thereafter. California has 495 delegates up for grabs, which is about one-tenth of the total across the country. And it is that surprising lack of attention to California from top candidates, including the state's own senator, that I can't get off my mind. And that is my Buzz of the Week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of California Nation. I'll return to your podcast feed soon with another episode. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and give us a comment. It helps listeners like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. This podcast is supported by the Sacramento Bee. And the best way to keep this show going is by subscribing to the Bee. We have a link in our show notes for you, extending the opportunity. Also in our show notes this week are links to stories from the convention. We invite you to check that out as well. To keep up with all the latest political news, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian R. Anderson. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation.
4: Augustine, you took a different tack, I think, at the last convention. I thought maybe there you were doing the... You might have been less provocative this time. Were you trying not to get booed this time?
6: No, I was trying. You know, I think what happened last time is my sequencing was different than this time. So, last time, the point I was going to make is I'm for universal health care. But because I wasn't for Medicare for
4: all, I think people weren't as open minded.
6: This time, I explained how.